I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful with my sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube. Happy Spotify Wrapped Day. Mm-hmm. If you listen on Spotify, you're getting all sorts of data. To all those who, who observe. Yeah. You know, you're getting all sorts of uh, data or data on uh, how often you listen to us. We appreciate people that do that and send us those uh, screenshots, which are always fascinating. But yeah. Uh, yeah, welcome in. And we also get one from the the podcasting side of it now. We get to stalk you guys right. as well. So you get to know how many countries and... 84, apparently, according to Spotify. It feels low. Well, Spotify only accounts for like 20% of our listeners, right? So like only 20% of the the listeners that consume the show, and this isn't even counting YouTube. I got it. uh, Are streaming on Spotify. So that's, it's giving us a snapshot of 20% of our listenership. But even that 20% accounts for 84 different countries, which is pretty impressive. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, so the Antarctic people that listen to us are probably not listening on Spotify. Well, if Spotify. they're not streaming on Spotify, we're not they're, getting they're, 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 they're probably yeah. Apple people, you know, in Antarctica. Uh, That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. 195 yeah. countries on Earth, according to Mike. So we're only not even halfway there. Almost halfway there. Yeah. We got a lot of work to do in 2024, but it's a good growth mentality over here on the PFF NFL podcast. Um, so today... We're going to talk about uh, potentially the, the who, who would be the most improved player mm. in the NFL if we had to give that award. Uh, talk, we're going to talk a little Jets, assign some blame. Yeah, a few Jets. emails have come in asking questions, uh, holding us to account. So we'll, we'll address those. Great. Um, and 49ers team building strategy, is that also holding us? It's also a question, uh, not so much holding us to account, challenging us and uh, referencing the late Dr. Eager. Who was, you know, to make clear, is not dead. He's not dead. Just work somewhere else. Yes. Um, so now yesterday, you and Brad discussed the Frank Reich firing. Yeah. And billionaireing with On a David show, Tepper. not from here, because the, uh, the computer decided Yeah, you went work. remote. Yeah. That's great. I was sitting here, all ready to go, and the computer didn't want to function. So right. I had to drive home, do the show from, from, from my basement. Look at you guys working out a structure. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. Just not just not at, a system guy. You just roll with the punches. Whatever Audible. you got to do. Working Audible outside the, the line pocket of scrimmage when needed. Um, 
Do you have any good billionaireing takes? Oh, I mean, <laughs> some of the pieces of information, nuggets. What's her, you, you'll know her name as a, as a fellow person who calls sauce gravy. Um, Nora Princiotti? Princiotti. There you yeah, go. Yeah. yeah, I got it right. Good job. Uh, she had an article about David Tepper, and, and it had some interesting pieces of information in it uh, about how he would uh, he once bought a house, um, bought the house of the of what a guy who used to be his boss in the hedge fund world or, or banking world or whatever the hell it was, right? A guy who had who hadn't promoted him, and he he believed this was because of spite or whatever. He he feel he he felt he was wronged. So he ended up buying this guy's mansion just to bulldoze it to the ground and build a new one. And I just think that's great billionaire. It really is. And, and the article also talked about how he would be the type of person that would, you know, go out to dinner or whatever and feel like he got hosed by the waiter and decided I would just buy this restaurant and bankrupt it. Like run into the ground, fire everybody. Like, is this your new hero? Uh, we need a Wednesday show in which you rank your favorite billionaires. This <laughs> well, needs to be a new ranking. We, we, get, we decided that gets us into some trouble, though, you know? Not oh. necessarily at the top end, because everybody loves to be a well, now, high in the rankings. They, they're you're... not even listening. No, it's like the world of nobody, nobody actually listens to the video clips that are put out there. It's just what does the caption say or what is the, you know, so it's what sure. is the point made in the tweet, right? So if we just put out here's the top five billionaires or the top five owners, Ursay's not watching to, to listen and, and find out that the only reason he's ranked highly is because he's crazy, right? He's just like, I'm, I'm in the top five. This is great. So no, knowing what you now know, you know more about David Tepper. Yeah. Do you feel like if you said, hey, he's moving up my rankings, he does a lot of crazy stuff, before you know it, Chris is getting a call. That's what I'm saying. And well, PFF's no. getting bought for you know, no, no, three no. times its valuation. Because <laughs> think- David's coming. He's coming in. Mr. Tepper yeah. would be my boss. He's, he didn't want to call him Mr. Before. Well, now it's, it's now you know how real. he works. It's becoming real in this hypothetical situation <laughs> where he's my boss. He's coming in and just to fire you, yeah. and I'm left without a co-host. No, because what I'm saying is I, I don't think he would get as far as discovering the reasons for his ranking. I think he would simply see, oh, look, I'm top five in the billionaire rankings. Ah, this I is see. great. This is outstanding. People this like is a, Yeah, this is a positive development, right, without actually – digging deeper beneath the surface to discover that the only reason he's ranked top five is because apparently he uses his money uh, in a weaponized fashion to ruin people's lives. Um, I think our problem would be at the bottom end of it where people will get upset that they're ranked low, even if the reason they're ranked low is because they're just a a middle-of-the-road conservative rich person that doesn't do anything interesting. It's a conservative rich person. Right. I, now, I, I do wonder if Spotify Wrapped conservative gets into... Conservative with a small C. Small C. I wonder if Spotify Wrapped gets in... I know that we, we get some demographic info and all that stuff. I wonder if we have a billionaire count, though, that listens. How many billionaires listen to us? Yeah, yeah. I do wonder. If you're a billionaire and you're out there <laughs> and you listen to the PFF NFL podcast, let, let us, us know. know. Yeah, and you, you, have your people... Number one. Email us, right. Have your people email us. NFL podcast at pff.com. Just let us know. I'm just curious. Number one, let us know. And number two, justify why you didn't buy that five grand X chair that we were trying to get. We were to trying buy. to we were trying to flip an X chair for mm. five grand. If you're a billionaire white. listening to the show. You really have no excuse to have not purchased that chair. So I do want to know how many billionaires are here. Because we have we have NFL GMs that listen to us. They're yep. not billionaires. They're merely just, just millionaires. Yep. Um, but I wonder if they're I wonder if they're like, hey boss, listen to this episode. Yeah. They but, talked good about me. You but know? um 
I, what I like about David Tepper as a billionaire is I believe he is the closest person, and this was Jerry Jones previously, but I believe he's now the closest person to my billionaire spirit animal in terms of how I would act with billions of dollars, which is to use the money for both good and bad, but at my whim, essentially, right? Yeah. To weaponize my money to enforce my own moral code on the world, right? So I would, I would generously shower people with riches that it pleased me, right? Like if you, if you <laughs> came in me. one day and you brought me a coffee, for example, right? I might, I might react to that by dropping a G on you, you know? Just, yeah. hey, here, take, get a little something for yourself, right? Appreciate your effort. Or for people that displease me, I would weaponize the money and ruin their lives, much like David Tepper appears to be doing, right? Like this guy screwed Fight. me over back in the day, right? I'm gonna buy his mansion, I'm gonna bulldoze it to the ground, I'm gonna build one myself, and, I, and if I was him, I hope that the house he built was designed custom. architecturally, yeah. not just custom, but like specifically to be the antithesis of what was there before, right? You had this beautiful old classical mansion. I'm going to bulldoze it and replace it with a modern monstrosity that you would hate. So I, I, that's the reason that he would sky, he's skyrocketing right now up my uh, billionaire rankings. When you get paid, will you buy Neil's house up in, uh, up in Loveland? No. Destroy that? No. Not enough spite there. No, not I'm at just all. kidding. We don't have spite toward Neil. Um, all right. Well, that was a good, good intro. Good stuff. That's what we're talking about here. Great billionaire stuff. Great billionaire. All right. Let's, um, before we, uh, I'll talk. Let's see. The chat is saying, the, the chat is calling me Monty Burns and saying I'm the ultimate villain, but they're missing the good part, right? I, I would both. Yeah. You pay a thousand bucks for, for both good and bad, yeah. right? Like well, you now drop. I know. I would stay on your good side. Right. People that are on my good side get given Ferraris and stuff just because I'm in a good mood. It's only the people that have wronged me down the years, you know? To quote Father Ted, those people that have really fecked me over down the years. Those right. are the people that would get ruined. We're going to get into the NFL's most improved player. But first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes, and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. Meetfabric, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Sam, you posed this question, mm -hmm. talking a little player eval. Where was the, what's the genesis of the most improved NFL player? Uh, I stole it from Twitter. Um, I believe Ben Solak, friend of the show? Or just friend of us. He's a friend of the show. He's been on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know if he's a friend right. or if he likes you no, or no, anything like show. that, but he's been on the show. That's what I was looking for, yeah, whether yeah. he'd actually, we he had has. him on. I'm pretty sure we had. Uh, friend of the show. Uh, we had Nod when we're out at events. Tweeted this and out. And he'd stolen it from somewhere as well. Uh, so it's, it's, it's the topic that's been out there. Stolen twice. Yes, multiply stolen. Um, he points out that the NBA has this award, right, of most improved player, not comeback, not, you know, best player just most improved who has gotten better the most in the course of a season and he tweeted out his list of guys that he would uh pitch to be most improved player in the nfl this season 
And I thought we should do likewise on the show. I like that. And our list is very different from his, by the way. So we may be stealing the idea, but we're not stealing the players. Oh, he put a list out there? He did. And I believed his list to be both wrong and crazy. Oh, let's hear his. Oh, now I've got to go find it. Go find it. All right. Um, the first guy that came to mind for me, and I'm actually on a – it's funny because I was looking up a player recently who probably fits the bill. So I'm going to keep that player's page up and circle back. But the first player that came to mind for me was uh, Texans linebacker Blake Cashman. Mm, he was on having, my list. Yeah, he's having an excellent season. And, you know, he came out in 2013 with the Jets. And so what we do, because we've been covering the draft now pretty in-depth for the last eight or nine years, you go back to like, oh, what did I think of this guy in the draft? Cashman looked like a very good coverage linebacker potential and, you know, a nickel linebacker. And he's just never really developed or played a lot of football. And this year, not only is he playing way more football, 89.9 defense grade, or overall grade, 81 coverage grade, you know, six years later, five years later, whatever it is, you know, looking good. Yeah. Cashman was one of those people with terminally stumpy arms, right? Oh, let's check. Really let's check. short arms from what I remember. Measure. Like, really short. You get, you, know, you really remember, the, yeah, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> you really remember the, uh, the measurable stuff. Yeah, it's So, 6'1", 237. Right. 30 in an, uh, in an eighth yeah. inch arms. Really stumpy. Sixth percentile for linebackers. And uh, he's under nine inch hands. Eight, eight and three quarter inch hands. So, he's got your hand size here. But, um, but, you know, the reason why, as a fifth-round pick, he was intriguing, all the other athleticism measurables, 4 5 40, 4 one, two shuttle, 6 nine, five, three cone, all of those stuff, 80th percentile or above. So he's 30, 30 and an eighth? 30 and an eighth. So he's 6'1", 230-something. So he's two inches taller than I am, and his arms, which is only here to here, right? Yeah. Two inches shorter than mine. Oh, you got that long? That's good. Mine are the same as Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, you and Six, seven. Yeah. We need to go through. We say this every year. We need to go through like at least like the official measurables. I need an official hand size. Oh, you this definitely year. do. Yeah. Let's get that done. I mean, look, mine are less interesting because I'm just a vaguely normal shaped human being. Yours would set some records. We were talking offline about the um, getting to the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Because we weren't invited. PFF hasn't invited us invited us to the Senior Bowl, but maybe we should go. We should. Jim would invite us. Jim, Jim would love to have us. We'd be down on the sideline right. hanging out with Jim. So I want to go to the Senior Bowl this year, at least for a couple days. And uh, maybe we'll see if Jim can maybe get us. Maybe that's the way of doing it. We don't need to be there for the week. We just, just show up. Let's just show up. And yeah. let's, have, let's see if Jim and, and the team will give us some measurables. You know, some measurables. You know, Sunday night. I don't do the underwear thing. No, I'm not wearing underwear. Right. Like just underwear. That's what I'm saying. Not, you know, I don't want to be out in a room on a stage in front of people in underwear. You haven't been there. That doesn't feel like a good time. It is. It's a really, it's really awkward. Yeah. It's just like a, it's just like a funny thing, right? I don't want to do that. Now, maybe hundreds we, of people. There's like 300 people sitting in a room. Maybe we could and do dude it. just like walk out on the stage. Would it be worth it for the comedy? Maybe this is the kind of thing, you know, PMT would do, right? Oh, yeah. PMT, yeah. Those guys, they, they, those guys go viral doing, um, doing That's stupid stuff. That's what I'm saying. Stuff. Like maybe it's worth it sending you out there on the stage in your underwear and having the people, you know, If I could guarantee like a 10% listener bump or <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> – Maybe, you know, but then would, you've got that like would make poor, it, poor Tom Brady's got the same, you know, it would make a great picture. It would make a great charity drive forfeit, you know, the, oh, the loser has to go out on stage at the senior bowl in their underwear whilst everyone writes down their measurables. Yeah, it's not that you have to do the combine drills and we get to laugh at your numbers. It's like you have to go through the measurables. Right. 
and do it like next to all the offensive linemen. That's what I'm saying. Like standing something. there yeah. on the stage whilst like uh, you know a, a spectacled scout with his you know team polo logo is writing down your numbers. That would actually be hilarious. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, Blake Cashman. Yeah, so Blake Cashman. Just uh, do you want Benjamin's list? Yeah, I'm curious. So his his vote, if he had one and if it existed, uh, would be Jaguars edge rusher Josh Allen. Uh, he also had on his list Jaguars linebacker Devin Lloyd, Eagles defensive tackle Jordan Davis, Ravens cornerback Arthur Mollett, uh, Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen, and Packers quarterback Jordan Love. Now, I you think said, several of those players shouldn't qualify for a most improved player. Award. Why do you think that's a bad list? Well, Jordan Love doesn't belong on a most improved player list because we've never really seen him play. Okay, he belongs Jordan on a breakout Love, players list. Um, Josh Allen, I kind of get. It depends on what you think the baseline I was. I think he's already been good, yeah. so I don't think he really I qualifies. Wouldn't, Devin Lloyd makes sense. He didn't Patrick have great... Queen improved last year the second Roquan Smith arrived in the building, so I think that's late to the party on him. I mean, you can make an argument for Queen. Yeah. Jordan Davis, I think, was good right out of the gate. He's just playing more, so I don't know that he qualifies necessarily. Davis could qualify. Now, when he was on the field last year, he did play hurt, and he looked – not great when he was trying to when play he was hurt. playing so hurt. when you're but, talking from a but like production. right out of the gate he looked good then he got hurt and then didn't play as much and or as well and so i'm not but, sure but he just tracked down josh allen <laughs> yes yeah so. so there's a couple of players in there i think they're solid but generally i think that's not a good list okay well that's why you get so i'm going cashman from so the for example you started with cashman i think you're already away to a better start thank you who else you got uh on my list already uh on my list Blake Cashman was on my list. I didn't make a full list. We're just kind of like working. I had five guys that jumped okay. to mind. Yeah, let's, I just wanted to uh, hear so five guys. So Blake Cashman was on my list. Jadevian Clowney is finally having the year that he's been chasing for the last five or six years where he keeps signing one-year deals because, this, because of this year. He's signing one-year deals thinking that somewhere down the line he's going to have this year, and at the end of it there's a payday, right? Only he's had so many of those years that maybe even now there's not going to be the payday at the end of it. But still, he's finally having that year. Jadevian Clowney is having, I think, the best season of his NFL career, certainly by far the best season he's had in a long period of time. I love it. Yeah, I mean, he he seemed like an easy guy to peg year over year because he hadn't played at this level, you know, and he had been uh, the Jadavian clowny discourse for us over the last few years because, you know, our longtime listeners always know. We say, look at the pass rush grade. Don't look at sack totals in the clowny discourse would be like hey his pass rush grade from pretty much 2017 through 22 same range like mm. similar range he's a 70 to 78 pass rush guy um and then this but this year he's doing it in volume he's finishing plays so his pass rush grade would be relatively consistent and then some years he'd have 8 9 10 he had 11 sacks in 2021 he had zero sacks when he was with the titans but his you know win rate was was similar um, but this year, it's just uh, a lot cleaner yeah. across the board. It's he, the best year he's had since, um, since you know, his, his contract prime, year. Basically, it's yeah. it's literally the best season he's had since the last time he hit like a real contract year, chasing the hundred million dollar contract. Right, the final year in Houston, his contract year, and the Texans instead decide not to give him the giant deal, and like he's having the best year since that point. So he already has 55 total pressures. He had 29 last season in Cleveland. He had 55 the year before that, or on 53 rather. Number of rushes. Yeah, 53 rather the year before that. Um, on significantly, yeah, last year, similar number of rushers. The 53 year, significantly more rushes to get 53. Uh, his pass rushing grade is the best it's been since that last year in Houston. Um, 
I mean, this is a massive jump forward in his overall performance. Yeah, Clowney's a, Clowney's a good one. Um, there's a request in the chat for his teammate, Justin Matabuike. Good name. Good, which, no, uh, good, good suggestion he, as well. If, as if the NFL was voting on this, mm-hmm. I think Matabuike might win. Yeah. In part because he has all the, the sack totals. He is playing, excuse me, he is playing better this year. Um, I did have to go through, but he's got, he's not like a quick win dominator overall on the interior. So that kind of, he's got a good, not great pass rush grade. So it doesn't really match the sacks, but yeah, Matabuike has been fantastic this year and he's going to get paid because of it. Yeah. Um, Jalen Johnson, Bears cornerback, who remember had that kind of really incredible rookie season, which even then was more flashy than it was amazing, you know? Um, made a ton of plays on the ball, made some really big high leverage plays and surprised everybody because he was a second round pick rather than a first round pick. And then regressed or at least didn't progress in the next couple of years. And then this season is having an incredible year topped off by that game on Monday Night Football where he was just everywhere, made you know a spectacular interception, dropped another interception, but was all over the place making plays, only gave up two catches for, for four yards. Like Jalen Johnson has taken a huge leap forward and I think is exceeding even the reputation that he had previously. Last year, he gave up almost 16 yards per reception. This year, it's eight. Yeah. So when he is giving up catches, it's all underneath, not giving up big plays. Your favorite stat, passer rating of 37.7 thrown into his coverage. Mm -hmm. Worse than just, you know, throwing the ball into the dirt. Gotta love it. Um, Interesting that Jalen Johnson, contract year, Matabuike, contract year, Jadavian Clowney, always a contract year. Yeah. I mean, this is a real thing. Like, people kind of joke about the contract year thing, but it, it's real. Like, guys, guys take big steps forward in contract years because they want the damn money. It's, it's, not a, it's a thing. We need to, like, officially research that, though. Yeah. A little bit more. Um, but it is, it's, it's an interesting, because we love team building here. It's an interesting team building discussion. Um, would you rather actually let a guy get to a contract year, get that? You want a whole team full of them. That yeah. way they're all maximizing their you effort. get that motivated year out of him. Mm. Now, on one hand, it's like, well, you just made the guy more expensive in case you want to re-sign him. But if you don't want to re-sign him, you get the contract year out of him. He ups his value, maybe gets you a better Isn't this like pick. the Saints strategy? Every year is a contract year because they've got to cut everybody. They've got to cut everybody, yeah, potentially. Get the, uh, get the best out of everybody. But if you're the Bears, like it doesn't matter because you're in the middle of a rebuild. And it's like, oh, who cares that Jalen Johnson has a great year? You have four wins. Mm-hmm. Next guy? Go ahead. Nico Collins. Wide receiver for the Houston Texans. Yeah, now, I think that's a pretty clear one. Yeah. Yeah. Collins was already pretty good, but taking a huge step forward this year, in part because, you know, just the workload has gone up. Like he already has nine more targets than he had all of last season, uh, already has 13 more catches. Um, but he's now got 800 yards, five touchdowns. His PFF grade is more than 10 points better than it was a year ago. Just his receiving grade is more than 10 points better as well. I mean, he has taken a big step forward in whilst being aided, obviously, by C.J. Stroud being the quarterback. And, of course, PFF Bobby. And PFF Bobby. Yeah, I mean, Nico's been fantastic. Um, remember, the, the years where it felt like the Texans were treading water and Nick Casario is GM, and the, I forget what else happened that year in the draft, but they traded up to go get Nico Collins. And at the time, it was like, man, with all this other stuff, with all these other holes that you have, you traded up to go get Nico Collins. And I think there's a lot of moves where Nick Casario is becoming uh, justified here, where they're working out. And yeah, Nico's been outstanding. Size, speed, big playability, and uh, good rapport with C.J. Stroud. Uh, last guy on my list, I think, David Onyemata, 
defensive tackle yeah. for the Falcons now. Uh, he had a pretty rough year last season for the Saints. He took a big step backwards. So his is not so much he, – he, I think he's improved dramatically from last year and kind of got back to where he was previously with the Saints, which was one of the more destructive um, interior pass rushers and interior linemen generally, really. Um, but last year took a big step backwards and it's just sort of bounced back. So maybe he's more of a comeback player than a most improved player, actually. He, so the interesting thing about Onyemata now, this is, this is why I do think if we researched properly contract year performance, it wouldn't, I don't know if there'd be a ton of signal there. Because Onyemata is now the opposite. He was in a contract year last year and Atlanta paid him coming off of a down year. We would call it a down year. Again, Atlanta or the NFL could have a completely different evaluation. But Onyemata had had two outstanding seasons as a, as a rotational defensive tackle, 2020 and 21 with the Saints. Takes a step back last year, at least in our grading from a production standpoint, and then gets paid by Atlanta. So now it's the first year of his new contract, and he's playing great. And, you know, I've loved highlighting him. He had that game against the Bucs back in week seven where he just owned the line of scrimmage. He had a couple of those games this year where he's been very good in the run game and uh, rushing the passer pretty well as well. So, yeah, I like Onyemata. Um, but, yeah, there's uh, the other Saints uh, pass rusher a couple of years ago that did something similar was Trey Hendrickson. He, when he signed his big contract with the Bengals, got better and has literally improved his grade every single year. So that's where I do think the – the contract year thing is probably overblown a little bit because if you go back and research, there's guys like Hendrickson who outperformed, you know, or did better after their contract year and actually uh, justified the new contract that they just got. So I think Onyemata is more in, in, in that boat. Um, I have a name to throw in there. Yep. Brandon Ayuk. So he was already very good. Mm -hmm. I think he's a star now. I think Brandon Ayuk has gone from good to great. Good to great. Yeah. He has become an absolute star. I mean, coming into the season, if you were listing the 49ers playmakers, he'd be fifth or fourth, right? You'd say, well, they've got Debo, and they've got Kittle, and they've got McCaffrey, and Ayuk. He's a good he's a good two, does these things. Ayuk's the star now, and he is uncoverable for as a route runner, an absolute big play threat. He had all that training camp buzz and hype that's you know carried over. I mean, that's just the rich get richer when it comes to the Niners. They don't need Ayuk. They didn't need Ayuk to become a top five receiver this year. They didn't need that. They just needed him to be, oh, just be a, a good number two. Just be that number two behind Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey. And you'll get fed every, every few games. Instead, Ayuk has become one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I think, again, if this was actually being voted on in the NFL, I think Ayuk would get a lot of votes. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Uh, let me pitch you a few more names. Um, Baker Mayfield. Now, he's not improved to great or anything, but he's taken a huge step forward from absolute garbage where he was last year. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, last year, heading into the season, you're like, you know, the Baker Mayfield and Carolina thing might actually work. Nope. And it, it so didn't work that he didn't even last that long in Carolina before they got rid of him, and he ended up with the Rams where he had that one ridiculous game off the back of you know, arriving two days before with the playbook. And even that wasn't great, right? It was, like, fault. it was a great story rather than it was a great performance. It was a great final drive, maybe. He had two um, good games out of five or whatever. Yeah, was. and then was back to, like, the Rams don't want to pick him up either, right? So he's gone from that, which is the guy doesn't belong in the NFL at this stage, to he's fine. Like, he's playing reasonably well for the Bucks. That's a pretty big step forward, right? Um, another name I would pitch you, 
has Brock Purdy actually taken a huge step forward given like he's now playing at the level where the narrative was <laughs> before it was just you know game manager plus some some impro improv plays at the end now he's actually playing at the incredible level that justified the endless win streak I think over the last few weeks he has I, you know I'd still want to see more I mean he if he ends the season with like an 84 85 PFF grade that that would be off the top of my head the best the best quarterback grade Kyle Shanahan's had since Matt Ryan in 2016 and you know coincide with the best production assuming the production stays the best production probably since Matt Ryan or maybe ever we'll see where Purdy lands there and that would be okay you know the narrative ended up being true he, you know because Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 was like a 78 grade you know he's QB 13 or whatever in the NFL that year which still had great production. Again, remember Jimmy Garoppolo in the hashtag nerd community that likes to look at EPA mm. as a baseline for quarterback play. Jimmy Garoppolo has a lot of fans because the EPA is always good. Oh, did you see? And now the Brock Purdy EPA with all those playmakers in the, in the play caller is that much higher because Purdy has played better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you see the nerds fighting back? You're being subtweeted. Not you necessarily individually, but you you and your uh, EPA people. Uh, oh yeah, There's, I've been subtweeted. It, you and me you amongst other people. Yeah. Uh, Robbie at NFL uh, for the EPA as a team stat. You have to watch the film crowd. That's you. Me. Uh, EPA has the highest correlation to PFF grades of any stat-based quarterback metric. Brackets. They're all pretty close. Uh, are we all just big dummies for looking at stats? Um, so EPA has the biggest correlation to what P the It's essentially PFF the closest thing grade. you can get in statistical terms to the PFF grade, which, as we always point out, is the thing that is tape watching. Oh, yeah. I just I, PFF grade's better, though. It correlates to PFF grade better. I will say our under-the-hood play-by-play grades correlate better to each other than the 0 to 100 might. Um, but I think PFF EPA is not bad. I think it's directionally good, but like you have something better out there is my is my main point, which is the PFF grade. The actual grade itself is better. And then the more you get into small sample sizes, right? My bigger issue is when you get into tiny sample sizes and people say, "Hey, this three game stretch, the EPA is great or whatever." And it's like, yeah, that's like. Literally, if your receiver drops two passes, you go from first to like 15th in the NFL and EPA in small sample sizes. So don't use it like that. That's my bigger issue with all that. Yeah, I just wanted to needle you about that. I didn't really want to. Oh, thank you. Oh, you didn't want to get into it. Well, I mean, we, that, we, that's a suitable amount of time to spend on it is all I'm saying. Uh, two more names to pitch you. Running backs. Um, you being running back, you know, promoter here at the, the PFF NFL podcast. David Montgomery. Uh, Detroit brings him in to be the sort of power back to the Jameer Gibbs, whatever he is. Um, and he ends up just being dominant behind a, a good offensive line. He's having the best career or the best season he's had in his career and looks like one of the best running backs in the NFL. I like that. I like the Montgomery pick in, in part because now he's creating big plays, right? He's got 70 yard run this year and um, he's actually taken it to the house. The, the issue with Montgomery is he would be that guy that would – you know, force two or three missed tackles and get 12 or get 10. And now he's turning 10 into 40 or 50 or 60. Not every time, obviously, but he's got a few of those big plays in there. So, yeah, I like Montgomery. He's been excellent 
in and around the goal line, finishing you know finishing runs. So yeah, I like David Montgomery. Nice. He got running a uh, rushing grade is fourth this year in the NFL. Yeah, he's uh, he's absolutely crushing it this year. Uh, that's probably all I've got. I was going to go with a different direction, but his, his grade isn't that great, so it's probably not a good. The other running backs, Kyron Williams, Raheem Mostert. Yeah, you know, again, they're... Williams more of a breakout than an improvement, I would argue. Yeah. Who are you going to say whose grade isn't great? Devin Singletary. His grade's not great? No. Feels better. Not. Yeah, it does. It's, it's really just been these last few weeks where he's run extremely well. Who was it? Was it Zach in the chat, Zach Tantillo, in the, the podcast chat that made the pitch for Kevin Dotson for the Rams? Ah, yeah. So Dotson, you know, he's interesting. The Rams picked him up. He's Is he our highest-graded guard or just pass protector right now? No, not pass protector. It's run blocking. Oh, it's run blocking. Yeah. So that kind of like inverted from where he was with mm. the Steelers. Yep. Um, we'd always had decent grades on Dotson, but they were one-sided. Right. Pass pro instead of um, run blocking. And the Steelers never seemed to love Dotson. Right. You know, that pass pro is actually interestingly the lowest grade of his career. Now it's in the same ballpark as the other ones, but it's 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 the lowest number at seventy four point one. But he has a run blocking grade of ninety. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Fun discussion. Yeah. Did we revisit again at the uh, at the end of the season here? Uh, let me jump back in to derail the podcast in another way. Uh, I tweeted this out as a poll yesterday. Can I um, can I talk about AG one first, and then you can get to that? Okay. Is that smooth? Uh, I mean, there's smoother things in the world. Yeah. Like, say, AG1. There you go. The daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every single day here on the PFF NFL podcast. Um, I would like to see some Spotify wrapped on AG1 drinking across the, the podcast. Because we're getting, people are sending us screenshots. And they're like, hey, we're in on AG1. We like to support the podcast. We like being healthy. So we like to drink it every single day in the morning. Makes us all feel great. This, this is the feedback we're getting. From our listeners and our viewers, um, it's doing something good for your body, giving the, your body the nutrition that it craves. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies, and a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health, and a lot of the great athletes also drink AG1. That's why we're huge fans here in the PFF NFL podcast. With every daily serving, we're setting ourselves up for, for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. We also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients, a win-win for everybody. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and a five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com pff. That's drinkag1.com pff. Go check it out right now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, man, what you got here? I tweeted this out yesterday, um, relevant to the David Tepper, Carolina, the whole thing there. Um, I was curious what the people thought about whether the trade to move up from number nine overall to number one overall to get the quarterback last season for Carolina, was the trade itself bad, independent of which quarterback they picked, right? So obviously it's gone badly, but when you're looking back with hindsight, you know, 
how much are you benefiting from hindsight versus simply like process versus results? So I, if they had done that to select CJ Stroud, would it still be, have been a bad move, right? Because right now it's being panned as like, oh, look at them. They don't have their own first round pick. They've given up too much to go get the quarterback. Everything's bad. And the whole thing is a disaster, which it is. But had they got the right guy or if, the, you know, if they'd done it for CJ Stroud and he was still playing amazingly, would it still be bad? Uh, so I tweeted that out, right? Poll, yes, no, and the, the results thing, you know, just I'm only here for the results. I'm not tainting your poll. So 4,774 people voted on this, 14.4% uh, of which were just interested in results. So 50%, 50.5, actually, you tell me, which 50.5% which of people thought one thing, which way did they go? Good, good process. 50.5% of people said... Uh, Correct. It's not, uh, it wasn't a bad move independent of the quarterback. So it was good process. And then 35.1% of people said it's a bad move, whatever you do. Yeah. So I, I think I probably, I would have voted good move. Um, I think, what do you, th well, what do you think? <laughs> I'll give you my answer. Here, listen. <coughs> if you're the Panthers, let's go back to the Panthers last year at this time. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot on this show from a short, I don't want to say short-sighted, but we talk a lot about you have to take chances for your quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you have nothing. Go get your QB. And so I think our initial reaction was great. Go do it. Awesome move for the Bears because you're not going to draft a QB. So, or because you've decided not to, even though we encourage the Bears to do it. You decided not to. You moved to pick number nine. You got next year's first rounder. Oh, by the way, Caleb Williams and Drake May, like we already knew about them a year ago at this time. We knew who they were. We knew they were probably going to go one and two in the draft. And you got DJ Moore. From a Bears perspective, home run. Yeah. Great job. We loved it from Chicago. From a Panthers perspective, we were saying, okay, you've been just going back and forth between Teddy Bridgewater and Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. And it's like, go get a quarterback because you didn't even, you couldn't even draft a QB the previous year because you had pick six. It was the Kenny Pickett year. And you didn't have another pick till round four. You haven't even had a chance to go get your franchise guy. So go get him. So from that perspective, we would say always go get him. The other part of it, though, is if you say, Mr. Tepper, we need to show some patience here because it's actually not a great uh, ball squad that we've accumulated here. We, did, we, made, we made a pretty good little run last year in the NFC South. How hard could it be? Mm. We were playing for a playoff spot. In week 17, we failed, we're not, but we're actually not that close. And because we're not that close, we're going to sit at nine. We're probably not going to get one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft, maybe not even the one of the top four, but we're going to sit at nine and go another year with no quarterback situation. However, the 2023 season might not go so well, and we could potentially put ourselves in position for the, you know, a very good quarterback class. We don't know that for sure, but it's, but it's risky because this year – like, this is the challenge, Sam. The last year, P.J. Walker was playing quarterback a lot for the Panthers, and they got the ninth overall pick Yeah, with P.J. Walker at quarterback in a similar roster. So if they said, we're just going to wait, the, the Panthers weren't expecting to be a top three right. picking team. That's the thing. I think people right? are... I think people are, are skating over that part of it. Like, it looks terrible now because they're on course, essentially, to have the number one overall pick that they then have to give over to Chicago. And that's catastrophic with a quarterback that isn't playing well. I don't think that, that they could have reasonably been expected to anticipate that as a likely outcome of this season. You know, 
Like, you would have assumed that drafting Bryce Young, number one overall, even knowing you have to give up DJ Moore to make it happen, is probably still going to be an upgrade over having P.J. Walker last year, which still only landed you, like, at the fringes of the top ten. I think they would have been expecting, even in a bad season, to be winning four or five games and be okay, right? At which point, yeah, you're giving up a high draft pick, but you're not giving up one that had a realistic shot of Caleb Williams or Drake May. So, like, you know, now it's like, well, look, they they passed up on better quarterbacks a year later. I, I don't know that they could have been expected to think that that was actually the way this was going to go. And we and when we say trading up for quarterbacks is okay, it's because, again, like I keep reiterating this point. Nobody – it wasn't a consensus that C.J. Stroud was better than Bryce Young. There was not a consensus. And I actually don't care. I mean, Tepper might be trying to double talk and, you know, explain things away or whatever. I don't think it's crazy for a team to trade up – for one of two guys I don't think it's crazy you've done your evaluations you're going to put grades on them and if they're close they're close and you're like hey I don't I I honestly don't care if it's Bryce Young or CJ Stroud you know if people did that if the Panthers did that like I don't care that's fine I don't think you have to just be in love with one guy to to make that happen um but yeah it's also hindsight to say well obviously of course CJ Stroud is the guy now there will be individual people that said, of course I had C.J. Stroud as the as one. There were individual people. There were individual, um, you know, platforms, entities, scouts. But the consensus overall, and when I say consensus, I'm not talking about betting market, Dr. Eager. I'm not talking about the betting market. I'm like, when people are evaluating the quarterbacks, it was not a clear consensus that, of course, C.J. Stroud's the best quarterback. Bryce Young's a far number two. They were close. And if anything, Bryce Young had far more support I had more support than, than C.J. Stroud as the number one overall pick. So there's a lot of hindsight going here. So before the Panthers made the trade, there was probably two quarterbacks that they were comfortable with uh, taking it one or two because they were trying to, tra- trying to trade to two, for, to two as well. There's two QBs they were willing to take. They didn't want to take the risk of picking 10th again or picking 9th because then you don't get that guy and you go through 2023 without your guy. Right. So the trade up, I think, was fine. Um, and again, the difference for me trading up for a quarterback is the payout is incredible. And Bryce Young could still be an incredible payout. We'll see. The payout is incredible, but it's different from trading up for a defensive end or a Will Anderson because the payout can never match the payout of a quarterback, but you're giving up multiple players to get there. The key for me is the DJ Moore element of it. Like, I'd, I think in abstract terms, trading a King's ransom to move from nine to one to get a quarterback. I have no problem with that. I don't. I think it's an aggressive move, but I think it's one that, given where they were, is an entirely reasonable one to make. Because I think the alternative is bumbling through a year. Well, there's two alternatives. There's one, just bumbling through a year and hoping you're bad enough that you pick high enough that you can get a better quarterback next year at the top of the draft, which is absolutely no means. And then you have to do the same thing again if you're picking number nine, and now it's more It's more that you have to give up because potentially the quarterback is better that you're going for. Um, alternatively, you could have gone the other direction and actually traded down from nine if you had offers, right, and tried to stockpile stuff next year so that you could definitely be in a position to go get Drake May or Caleb Williams. But If you were taking a long-term yeah, approach, yeah. But you've got to do that hiring a new staff, trying to get them to buy into the idea that hey you know we're going to stink this year like it's just it's probably not a good not a viable strategy well, generally so i have no problem with going to get him um 
at the point where you have to give DJ Moore to make it happen, though, now you've got to do something to find receivers, right? Because you just traded yeah. away your only number one receiver, your only real viable receiver, and you're bringing in this young quarterback, and he's got nobody to throw to. And what they did was bring in Adam Thielen, which, okay, Adam Thielen's actually been pretty good this year, and he's by far their best receiver, but he can't be the guy that the receiving yeah. core is, is going through, right? And I made this point in the offseason – you know, it still, I think, holds up that you need to go and get a new Hopkins or something, right? They they bring in Adam Thielen. They draft Jonathan Mingo. Like, everything they did except Thielen has actually gone badly. Mingo is, is just not working this year, whether he works at all long term or not. Is, is, it's like Bryce Young, right? Just because he's bad this year doesn't mean he's going to be bad in the future. That being said, there's a lot of bad there. Um, but, like... If they had hit more with the things they did to try and offset the DJ Moore thing, it would look better, right? If they brought in New Hopkins, maybe as well as Adam Thielen. If instead of Mingo, they drafted Tank Dell, right? Like these are the things that would make that look dramatically different. But because they also goofed on the wide receiver solution, the trade looks worse. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, the, the, the one last thing I want to say here, the Panthers. So the argument for not trading up would be, in 2022, when Kenny, the Kenny Pickett was the only first-round quarterback draft, remember the Panthers picked at six. They got Iki Ikuanu, hmm. the tackle. And they didn't pick again until the fourth, but they traded up until the third to get Matt Corral. They were low on draft resources. So they were already a roster that was low on draft resources from previous years. And a lot of times when you're looking at the best teams in the NFL, you just rewind three years and you see what they've added in the draft over the last three or four years, and you say, oh, of course they're good. They've drafted well the last three or four years. The Panthers were coming off a three- or four-year stretch where they had not drafted great or often enough. So now you're a, you're a low-resource team that's lowering the resources even more. You know, And it's like as soon as – to me, as soon as you make the trade up to go get a quarterback, I'm fine with that move in isolation. To your point, all right, now we have to rally in other areas. Every other draft pick that we make, we should be trying to trade down and accumulate picks because the – as soon as you trade up and give up multiple big picks, your roster is on track to take a step back. It's on track to take a step back. You're accepting that, that risk in order to get the guy. And now to mitigate that risk, you have to trade back. You have to trade back, and you have to turn one pick into three all the way through so that you can slow the uh, regression of the roster that's, that's inevitable. And that's what we're seeing right now because they're going to miss out on either a, a great quarterback or a Marvin Harrison Jr. or whatever because of the first-round pick that they no longer have. Maybe the best argument against doing the trade in the first place is one that Sean Lowry made on Twitter. Uh, which is it is, Will Levis? No, oh. it's simply, when has it ever worked out? Um, he asks, when is the last time a top-five quarterback trade has ever worked? And he, he lists off a bunch of names, which I'm sure is not um, exhaustive, but it's pretty damning. Trey Lance, Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, RG3, Mark Sanchez, Michael Vick, uh, Ryan Leaf, Jeff George, I assume that is. It's not a good list. Now, so, they're not all bad players, but did so, any of them like justify you know, a King's Ransom trade to go get that one guy? The problem with that analysis is if you just change the parameters and you say top 10, then you add Josh Allen to the mix and you add Patrick Mahomes to the mix. Right. So as soon as you change the parameters, when was the last time a uh, trade-up for a top-10 quarterback worked? It's like, okay, now I see Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. That's what we're chasing, right? Now, I get it. You say top-five. So part of the argument is, 
how much you have to give up to make it happen. It's how much you have to give, but it's also, are you actually better off historically now picking in the top five versus the top 10 where the Panthers sat at number nine, right? They sat there at number nine. Um, so are you actually better off picking the first, sec- the second or third quarterback in the draft versus the fourth or fifth, right? And that's a fair argument because that, that's, that really has been uh, a coin flip. So I get that reasoning as well. Again, the other reasoning I would say is like Will Levis was there at nine, and if you were just going to take a swing, you know, using the balance sheet again, right. we, could have, we could have Bryce Young now in hindsight. We could have Bryce Young or we could have Will Levis, DJ Moore in next year's first-round pick, which right now we don't know where that would land. But, it, you know, so theoretically it could be Will Levis plus DJ Moore plus Caleb Williams, These- Drake May. Yeah, the, versus just Bryce Young. That's that's an argument against knowing what we know now. I'd love to see like an exhaustive list actually of all these trades um, at the top of the draft because some a lot of these are to go get QB two or three. Like how many times is the, uh, is the trade like convincing yourself that actually there's no real difference between QB one and QB two, and now that QB one is gone, we have to get two. Because otherwise, that's when the drop-off starts, whereas actually the drop-off started after one. There was one great quarterback in that draft. You didn't ever have a chance at him, and you talked yourself into the idea that number two was just as good. Again, the issue, the issue with this is the standard for a hit is so ridiculously high. Yeah. You said like Carson Wentz was a miss, right, in that list that you gave. Mm-hmm. But for four years, he wasn't a miss. By year two, you were like, wow. Eagle, like it did lead to the Eagles going right. to the Super Bowl. It also, did kind of win them a Super Bowl. Right. I mean, going up to get Carson Wentz. In this list, Jared Goff is a miss, and the guy's playing like an MVP right now. Ish. Right. So the standard. So the reason why, and there's like specials on this. Why, you know, a deep dive into why the NFL is bad at picking quarterbacks. It's like because there's 32 starting jobs, and the and you only really want the best eight. You really only want you want to have one of the top 25 percent of 32 guys. So there's eight quarterbacks in the NFL at any given time, maybe 10, maybe 12, where every team in the t- in the league would agree. If I have one of those 8 to 12 guys, I'm happy and I'm not even flirting with others. And then the rest of the – unless you're lying to yourself. So that's the problem is that the standard is so high. There's no – you can't be a backup. You can't be a part-time player. You, when you when you go get a receiver, you could just be a deep threat. You could just be a possession guy. You could just play in the slot. You could be wide receiver three and still be produ- productive. Like, there's no backup. There's no development. And so that's the problem. It's not that the NFL has this, like, uh, they have an uh, NFL QB evaluation problem. It's that there's eight of them. And six of them are already in the league. So going to get, like, that's why you have to take those chances. Because when you do get that guy, it's a much bigger advantage. All right. Are we going to move on to emails? No, that was fun. Oh, man. It's like, feels like off season right now. It just feels like I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I can't wait for draft season, Sam. The, the discourse, does, does Caleb Williams love it enough? You you're know? riding such a high because your family isn't home and you have the whole place to yourself and you're just chilling like you're 20. This is interesting. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So the, pe- the people don't know this. No. Well, they do now. My wife left me. <laughs> Temporarily, though, For 12 days. Yeah. For 12 days. She, um, look, we're already not talking about football on the show (laughs) enough anyway. She's 
going for mom of the year honors. She jumped on a plane with four boys, eight yeah. and under yesterday, by herself. Oh, God. I walked her to the gate, passed her off, and was like, good luck. Go get See it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Have great fun. job. Other than my eight-year-old puking on the landing, it was great. <laughs> um, flew to see her family in Salt Lake City, and they're going to Disneyland with, you know, a brothers, a pilot. And Salt Lake City? Well, they, the, her family lives in Salt Lake. Couple pilots, yeah. brother. My brother-in-law's a pilot. His, his wife's a pilot, and they're going to go to Disneyland. So they're hanging out for a few days, going to Disneyland. So I'm like by myself for 12 days, right? While they're all, you know, having vacation. Uh -huh. It's like my seven-year-old's birthday. Like they took him away, took my family away. So I'm by myself for 12 days. Yeah, yeah. Might be riding. Like, so what do I do? I need right in there. Like, what should I do for 12? Well, what I'm days? saying what is, you're 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 riding a high because of this. You know? Yeah. You're living like a bachelor life in your in your early 40s. Well, the other thing that happened is she but sent me without the without the negative, right? Normally when that happens to people, it's cuz the wife and family have left for real, you know? Yeah. And they're now alone and miserable because they're 40 with no family, right? But you're 40 with no family and but they're I coming back. They're coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's great. Like, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. It's like been waiting 11 years to like get stuff done <laughs> and I'm going to end up like raking leaves in the yard and you know, tweaking the draft model a little bit, and that's what I'll have to show. I might write a book in the next 10 days. There's a lot of yeah. extra time here. Maybe I'll write a book. Raking leaves is probably as far as you can go on the DIY scale. Oh, yeah, I could do some raking, although I tried to pawn that off to a buddy as well. I'm just I'm saying, do it this year with I don't know time. that you want to go any further than that in terms of fixing things. I have a door that fell off the hinges. I have yeah. to fix a door that while feels, we're gone, too, while they're gone. If I, was, if I was setting the over under, that feels like it might be beyond you. If I get the door up, you owe me. You know, nothing. Anyway, email, right? This one came in from Jason White. Uh, fellas, are the 49ers proving the late Dr. Eager, Eager right about punting on the offensive line? Despite having an offensive line ranked 25th in salary cap, 28th in pass protection, the 49ers have one of the most efficient and productive passing games in the NFL. Do you have an explanation for how this is working? Cheers, Jason. So remember, this was a thing that we brought up a while ago. The late Dr. Eric Eager is really powering the show at this point. Um, he essentially made this argument that teams are better off dedicating not a lot of resources in the offensive line, focusing on run blocking rather than pass protection, and then running a scheme that works and putting all the resources into uh, coach, receivers, scheme, not the offensive line. Um, I think my answer to this would be, I, I don't agree with that take from Eric. I think I've said that recently. I think Eric and a lot of the other uh, analytics folks on the Twitter sphere are really hooked on, and you're going to hear this. If you're in our little Twitter circle, here's what you're going to hear all throughout draft season. All about sack avoidance, right? Sacks are a QB stat. Most important thing. That's like their new kick. Most important thing is avoiding sacks, which I agree is like a very important thing. It's a very stable thing, and it's a projectable thing, right? Sam Howell wasn't great at it in college. He's not great in the NFL. Are you looking at the chat? Mm. Some funny stuff in the chat. Mm -hmm. Somebody said I've been eating pans of Thanksgiving leftovers for the, for twelve days. Yeah, multiple people were fascinated by your uh, your Frankenstein pan of Thanksgiving food. That's how you do it. That's how you the, do it individually. You. It's a cookie sheet. The you. Black Friday game is for now. It's the cookie sheet game. You throw all your food on the cookie sheet. You heat it up, and boom, <laughs> eaten. Three o'clock, Black Friday. Um, so I so I disagree with Eric's take. So I think you're going to hear a lot about just sack avoidance, right? I'm just getting you ready, right? When people are evaluating Caleb Williams and Drake May and Michael Penix, there are going to be people who just list how well do they avoid sacks. This is like in just ranking quarterbacks off that. That's like the hot topic right now. 
And then the theory behind that is, well, it doesn't matter. Your pass blocking is going to be dependent on the quarterback anyway, so you don't need good pass protectors. So I don't think that's what's happening in San Francisco. I think what's happening is I've, what I've said throughout the years is that every team needs to understand their schematic advantage. If you have a schematic advantage, you could take advantage of that in team building. So the things we've highlighted in the past are if you have Aaron Donald, you can have edge rushers come and go and maybe have 10 sack seasons. And it's not because of the edge rusher, it's because of the interior pressure that Donald creates. If you're the Ravens, yeah, Jadavian Clowney's having a great year, but the Ravens were this aggressive, blitz-heavy defense that would create eight to 10 sack seasons for their edge defenders and let them walk and keep picking up comp picks when it wasn't the player doing it, it was the scheme and the way they play. There are Those things exist. I think Kyle Shanahan's offense is um, they kind of break, they can have production without great PFF grading, right? I think they've found that um, the way they run the ball, the way they exploit space, the way they get their guys into space, they can overcome bad run blocking, the, the play calling, the storytelling that happens within the run blocking. So I think this is more of a Kyle Shanahan thing hmm. and Niners schematic offense than a league-wide trend that you should neglect pass protection, look at run blocking. Um, I think the Niners can just overcome it. And also, I think Brock Purdy deserves credit yeah. for being able to do this because I think if Jimmy Garoppolo, they, they have not been this bad from a pass blocking standpoint with Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think he would handle this very well. I think you do give Brock Purdy credit. For but this. I think it is relevant specifically to this offense. I mean, the, the top three quarterbacks in the NFL in yards per attempt all run the same offense. Like all those guys were in the same room two years ago. Um, it's Brock Purdy. And he's at like 9.4 or something crazy. Then it's Tua, 8.9, I think. And then CJ Stroud at 8.4, right? And those guys are all half a yard clear of any other quarterback in the NFL running the same system with their, their coaches, the relevant play callers, literally in the same room two years ago this time. Um, so I think those guys, and you can see the effect, each individual one is having none of those offensive lines are great, right? On paper, heading into the year, you're looking at that Houston offensive line. You're like, could be a rough one. Meanwhile, like San Francisco is running the worst line they've had in years. Doesn't make any difference because Purdy's great, because the scheme is great, because the receivers are great. Um, PFF Bobby and CJ Stroud have transformed that offensive line into not a problem. So when Titus Howard goes down hurt with an ACL for the year, you're like, yeah, it's a blow, but eh, it's probably not derailing anything, right? Miami, you're like, that offensive line still isn't any good on paper, and yet it's playing like one of the better offensive lines in the league because the scheme is so great. It, I think specifically for that offense, it's probably a thing. Like, don't put any resource into your offensive line. You don't need to. It, and that's their, and that might be their schematic advantage. Right. right? So the for the, other teams though, probably doesn't hold. So the Niners have had, um, they had early Kyle Shanahan had Trent Brown mm -hmm. at tackle, and got a career year out of Trent Brown, and let him walk and you know go to New England and get paid. And Trent Brown's been a good player since then. It wasn't like it was just a Kyle Shanahan thing, but you. You kind of like resurrected a guy's career, right? Mike McGlinchey, they let him walk in the offseason, yep. and the offense hasn't missed a beat right. with Colt McKivitz and, there. And Colton mm -hmm. McKivitz, again, doesn't look like he's not as good as Mike McGlinchey. He's just not. Right. But they're fine without him. So, But also McGlinchey looks a lot worse now that he's removed from the cloistered environment of the 49ers offense. He does. And so to me, I think it's – so I don't – I wouldn't use the Niners as this great example. The other, the other one I would bring up, though, is like the Bengals – um, so the, 
it still could come back to bite the Niners once you play the Eagles this week, once you play Dallas again, you know, if Dallas could ever figure it out against the Niners. It could come back to bite in the playoffs. The Bengals made the Super Bowl with one of the worst pass-blocking lines in the NFL because they had receivers who got open quickly and Joe Burrow back there who could handle pressure and make big plays. But it did catch up at one point. It caught up in the Super Bowl, but you could still have a lot of success behind a bad pass-blocking offensive line if you have receivers who get open. And I think to your point on the scheme, not only do the Niners and Shanahan and his people have open receivers better than everybody, um, they've got good blitz answers, right? That So that mitigates pass blocking. So it, to me, it goes back to the scheme rather than a league-wide trend. The one other thing I'll say is if you go back six or seven years and you say, okay, Dak Prescott had immediate success and Carson Wentz had some pretty quick success in his first two years, it was the opposite, right? I mean, you, you can't, like, they had great pass blocking offensive lines and they had a real estate in the pocket to move around where we see... I mean, Bryce Young is sitting here behind a terrible offensive line and can't do anything. Mm. Daniel Jones, is when he's playing behind a terrible offensive line, now Tommy DeVito can do it, but Daniel Jones can't. His whole development was, you know, trash because of the offensive line here. So Yeah, I mean, I think it's identified a connection between scheme and offensive line that is not – I don't think you can then use that connection to make sweeping generality, generality saying this means that you should – issue offensive line in favor of x y and z because it's not applicable to every scheme this means if you're like if you yeah. go and hire bobby as your head coach next year and that's the scheme you're running maybe you don't need to invest in the offensive line as heavily as if you hired somebody else right but it doesn't mean that every team should start sacking off the offensive line investment in favor of other things one, one last thing eric has done good work through the years and some of the people he's worked with trying to quantify schemes and if you've ever seen any of the graphics he's put up, it's like, who are, the, who are the most diverse schemes in the NFL? Right. And there's 25 teams clustered in the middle. And then there's like the Shanahans have their corner. The Ravens have their corner. And then there's like one team that just doesn't do anything good. They don't motion. They don't run play action. They're just in their own corner. That's what's interesting to me, right? So even though do I, I believe PFF grades are the best evaluation of what's happening on the field, the proper way to use them would be, are there certain styles of play that can mitigate bad grades. Or, as we've said with the Steelers, where guys can grade well, like Kenny Pickett can put up good grades and have bad stats, right? Those are stories that need to be told. And I think I think that's what we're doing with the Shanahan scheme and disciples. We're saying mm -hmm. they can mitigate poor offensive line grading because they're so good at everything else. And uh, maybe you don't need to worry about the grades as much with those schemes. But that's because they're on the outlier uh, they're outliers schematically, which does it, which is rare in the NFL because most people are pretty homogenous. All right, quick question from the Discord, the Discord question of the week. Uh, you can find the link to the Discord in the description of the show. Come join, come hang out. Uh, this one's from Philip. How do you grade throws quarterbacks make that could be turnovers but require a historic, never been done before in history type of play from defenders for that to happen? I.e., Mahomes routinely spikes the ball if Jalen Carter actually managed to intercept that pass. Is it a turnover-worthy play? No, it would not be. Um, we, it's almost like, yeah, you, you certainly wouldn't call it a turnover-worthy play. A turnover-worthy play is something where you can visibly see a bad decision or poor accuracy or something that we know is his historically happens that puts the ball in harm's way. 
Um, a good, there are a lot of zero graded or neutral graded interceptions. An example of that is, you know, receiver runs a curl, cornerback jumps and tips it, right? Breaks it up. That pass historically falls incomplete 97% of the time. It's just a, it's a pass breakup. It's a zero grade. It didn't beat the coverage. The defender makes a great play. He tips it. He's not, in, he's not in between the receiver and the QB. He tips it. Where that tip goes is just out of the QB's control. And if it goes up and the safety makes a diving one-handed interception, it's still a neutral grade for the quarterback. If it falls incomplete, it's the same neutral grade for the quarterback. So um, we look at the actual throw and the circumstances around it. And if a defender makes a great play, he gets the credit for that. Um, again, even though the EPA is bad for the uh, mm. quarterback. Yeah, the whole grading system is effectively about expectations, right? And expected plays based off, you know, an average random person in that, an average random player in that situation, not an average random person. Um, so the expected outcome of a spike <laughs> is an incomplete pass that stops the clock. Right. The expected outcome is not Jalen Carter makes the play of the century, dives through the center's legs and intercepts it. You can't, because that is like one of the greatest plays in NFL history, it is not a reasonable expectation for the quarterback to stop that happening, right? So if it does happen, the fact that that was completely not within the realm of expectation means that he doesn't get charged as a thing that he should have anticipated, right? It's not that every play that could possibly end up intercepted in any way, shape, or form is a turnover-worthy play. It is the plays that should reasonably be expected to end up in turnovers because they're thrown at a defender or they are so dangerous that there's a pretty good chance that gets picked off, et cetera. Yep. All right. Uh, last email. This one from Dave. David from Germany. Uh, hi, Sam or Steve or Trevor or Brad. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Listening to the Week 12 review, I've noticed one discussion point is missing when you're talking about the Jets. Nathaniel Hackett. You guys are talking about how bad the offensive line is playing and grading what a train wreck Zach Wilson is, but I think you're missing one important point. The Broncos looked like that last year. Russell Wilson looked like maybe the worst quarterback in the league, uh, and the offensive line was penalty was a penalty-fueled mess. The execution was sloppy, and the clock management was horrendous. Watching the Black Friday game of the Jets, I saw all these issues pop up for the Jets. With the 49ers, you've talked about even in the grades, good coaching can show up to, to a degree. So seeing the parallels between last year's Broncos and this year's Jets, my question is, how much of the Jets' problems have their root cause in their offensive coordinator? Uh, is making it fun, quote-unquote, uh, what Rodgers said about Hackett, enough in the NFL? And will Hackett, because of the bond to Rodgers, survive, the, uh, by this point, a seemingly inevitable house cleaning at the end of the season? I think it's a very fair point. I think it's a very fair point. Um, Hackett was hired for Aaron Rodgers. For vibes. <laughs> for vibes. Because um, we do a lot of this, right? Like, Somebody, by the way, did take me up on the challenge. Like I had said, I had never seen a single piece of video evidence that suggested Hackett actually had any coaching acumen whatsoever. There's a video out there that somebody emailed us in, I think, that was like him walking through a play on, a, on an iPad type of thing where it was all, you know, it was all X's and O's and buzzwords and, you know, buzz this and all that kind of stuff, right? Like performatively so some might say but anyway he did demonstrate that there is coaching acumen in there as well but evidently the evidence of him on the field doesn't stack up well recently yeah i mean we, so we do a lot of wit without mm. analysis i think when you have elite quarterbacks that that skews that 
you know, obviously sure. we're dealing with this with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien and and Josh McDaniels. Like all of these guys look worse without Tom Brady. Right. And so when you look at Nathaniel Hackett's career, his his best seasons being involved in either coaching quarterbacks or offensive coordinator. They're 2020 and 21 when Aaron Rodgers won the MVP. So there's nothing else in Hackett's career that says, sure, you give him any quarterback, he'll make him better. Whereas, of course, when you look at Shanahan, you would say almost every quarterback he's gotten has done has performed above and beyond. So Hackett coached uh, Blake Bortles in Jacksonville as QB's coach in 15 and 16. Before that, he was offensive coordinator with the Bills. They weren't great offensively in 13 or 14 when he was there. He called plays for the Jags in 16 to 18. They did have the AFC Championship run there, but it wasn't because of Bortles. It was because of their defense. He goes to Green Bay. He's there in 19 to 21. He's got those um, – they won a lot of games there, but there was two elite years offensively for the Packers. Rodgers played out of his mind, right? And then last year, the disaster with the Broncos. So the the two good years you highlight there, the two years that Rodgers wins MVP, was great. And if, if Rodgers was playing this year, he maybe would have been fine because he's got this rapport with Nathaniel Hackett but yeah, once Rodgers is out of the equation, yeah, there's nothing else that says, yeah, of course, Nathaniel Hackett's going to you know, elevate this Jets offense and overcome the offensive line and, and make Zach Wilson better or make Tim Boyle better. So yeah, I think it's a fair assessment that maybe he's part of the problem here. I think when you're looking at the Jets' issues, though, for this season, it's just like they put all their eggs into the Aaron Rodgers basket, yeah. and he got hurt after four plays. Like, what should you expect? You know, it, it, somebody brought up the point, like, I'll bring up the point. Kyle Shanahan didn't have his starting quarterback for 50% of his games through five years with the 49ers. That's why they tried to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think it was performance-based. I think it was injury-based. It's like, I don't want to deal with – I don't want to have C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins playing quarterback anymore. I want the guy that I picked. And Shanahan had bad seasons when he didn't have his quarterback. But he wasn't a bad coach. He just had to deal with his backup for those seasons. When he had his quarterback, they went to NFC championships every single season. So you might be able to say the same thing about Robert Sala. Now you might say, oh, they didn't do enough, the deadline, blah, 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 whatever. Like it was a lost season all the way through for the Jets. If they made, like if they brought Josh Dobbs in and won a couple more games, like who cares? Does that actually matter? They put all their eggs into the Aaron Rodgers basket. He got hurt, and now it's like on to 2024 if you're the Jets and hope that Rodgers is healthy and ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting this world we're in now where there is a massive spectrum of the impact that coaching has. Like, the, we're, there's always this debate, right? How much, how important is coaching? How important is supporting cast? The credit pie, right? How big is each slice? How much, how, and for quarterbacks, how important is it to have a great supporting cast? And you can even subdivide that. Pass protection, receiving help, and then scheme. So we're now, I think, getting even higher levels of like coaching can make a huge difference. Look what it's doing in San Francisco, in Miami, in Houston. And sure, particularly in Miami and San Francisco, you can point to that and say, well, the supporting cast is great as well, right? You go and get Tyreek Hill at the same time as you get Mike McDaniel. For the 49ers, you've got just this array of guys, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Trent Williams as well, if you want to fold him into it. Um, there's so many weapons. So it, it's, it's always a muddy picture, but clearly, those guys are making a material impact to how everybody performs, including things like the offensive line. And I suspect the opposite is true, where when you have a coach that is not doing anything, essentially, to offset weaknesses, it looks even worse. And this is part of why Frank Reich got his, got his job 
fired, terminated, right? Is because they looked at that and said, he's doing nothing to help this situation, right? All they've done is like giving up play calling duties, taking them back, right? They're not actually fundamentally changing anything in the scheme to the point where I didn't, didn't see where this report came from. But there was a report that came out that said that the Panthers front office had come to Reich and said, hey, we need, let's, let's install a bunch of RPOs because Bryce Young's familiar with that in college and it would help him out and, you know, it, help us here. Like, let's throw the guy a lifeline, you know? He's drowning here. And Reich was like, no, my offense doesn't do RPOs. We're not, we're not doing that. Basically just brushed him off, said no, right? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know, whatever. But it kind of tallies with the rest of what we're seeing in Frank Reich's offense, which is, you know, he doesn't do any of the new motion stuff that everybody's doing. He doesn't run RPOs. He doesn't, um, he, he lives in 11 personnel, nothing else. You know, he's not doing any of the other things schematically in terms of variance and misdirection and trickery, like anything that might try and help, you know, from a schematic point of view. And I, I kind of get looking at that and saying, I mean, dude, it's going badly here. Why are we not changing anything? So if that's the end of the scale that some of these coaches live by, Nathaniel Hackett being there probably makes it worse, right? And sure, we look at this and say, well, the offensive line would have been terrible even with Rodgers in there. And would he still be upright and functioning even if he hadn't popped his Achilles after five snaps? I mean, the other thing is how much could he have offset Nathaniel Hackett maybe not making it? Like, you see those clips of him on the sideline, like listening to the call and being like, this is a terrible call, right? How much would he have just ignored it on the field and run whatever the hell he wanted to run himself? I have another point I have to make. I have another point. I'm going to get to it in a minute. I got to tell you about our prize picks lineup, though, because we got Thursday Night Football, Seahawks and Cowboys. So we're doing our prize picks lineup. Here it is. Jackson Smith and Jigba going less than 40 and a half receiving yards. I'm a big JSN fan, but yeah. we're talking about going up against. We have to point out that Tyler has abdicated his prize picks selections, and he's cowardly run away from the challenge, having fa- <laughs> having failed. So this is Eli. And now he's just chirping from the Eli booth. in the booth came yeah. up with this one. He's a hater on JSN, going mm-hmm. less than 40 and a half receiving yards. Uh, likes Tony Pollard, though, going more than 61 and a half rushing yards. So I guess I, I, Eli's assuming the Cowboys are going to be, you know, in control, handing the ball off. And then C.D. Lamb going more than six and a half receptions. You'll notice we don't have a kicker involved here in mm. our lineup. So less than 40 and a half receiving yards for Jackson Smith and Jigba. More than 61 and a half rushing yards for Tony Pollard. More than six and a half receptions for C.D. Lamb. That's Thursday night football. PFF prize picks lineup. You can do all sorts of stuff, though. Basketball season here. You can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. It's a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey, a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. You can play alongside some of prize picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can do that in the Community Plays section under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week prize picks even offers a reboot policy so the entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured so for football and basketball games if you have a player that exits the game in the first half doesn't return in the second half that player is rebooted prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy so go to prizepicks.com pffnfl use code pffnfl for a first deposit match up to 100 again that's prizepicks.com pffnfl use code pffnfl for a first deposit match up to $100. Um, one more factor here. Mm-hmm. General manager Aaron Rodgers. So Nathaniel Hackett is there. 
yeah. presumably because of Aaron Rodgers, as was Randall Cobb, as was Alan Lazard. Lazard just got healthy scratched last week. And I think if you were evaluating Alan Lazard as a receiver, doesn't really do anything special, but he was good for Aaron Rodgers, right? He runs slants. Aaron Rodgers knows where he's going to be when he runs slants. They run some back shoulders every now and again. Alan Lazard was there because of Aaron Rodgers, because they have good rapport. I don't know that Alan Lazard is good for any other receiver, QB besides Rodgers. Randall Cobb, kind of the same thing. He's older. He got hurt. He was, you know, Rodgers trust him, right? And that's okay. Again, all the eggs were in the Aaron Rodgers basket, Yeah. right? And so it goes back to your Peyton Manning, Tom Moore deal. I used to have this theory on Peyton Manning too, right? Because throughout Manning's career, he'd put up some stats, wouldn't win in the playoffs, right? And Brady would – there was years where Manning had better stats than Brady, but Brady always won. And I do think a big part of that was Peyton Manning, he took all the reps, right? They built the entire team around Peyton Manning and his success. They made sure he had weapons. They made sure he ran, they ran the offense that he wanted. It was his show. And I think ultimately that did hurt the Colts at some point because it was the Manning show. And if he didn't come through, they couldn't overcome it. Whereas Brady was like a bit more of the, the team structure with New England and he would adjust, right? We have to run the ball, we'll do it. If we have to pass, we'll do it. We'll run two tight ends, three wide, doesn't matter. Brady was whatever. I feel like there's elements of that with Rodgers in this where he got all the stuff that he wanted, all the pieces in place. And those pieces aren't actually that great. They're just good for Rodgers. And they're also hurt or being healthy scratched right now. So in the Jets team building effort here, not only do they not have a good offensive line, they don't have good receivers because they're either hurt or not on the field or only good for Aaron Rodgers and the Hackett thing on top of it. So that was my take. One other thing that was interesting that I heard a couple times this week as we just as I keep rambling. Uh, supposedly Bryce Young wanted Frank Reich to call the plays so he could hear it and visualize it, and he didn't want to work off the wristband. And on Sunday Night Football, they were talking about Lamar Jackson being the opposite, where he just wanted – Lamar just wanted the wristband. Right. And um, Todd Monken wanted to say it. He, early in the season, he's like, I'm going to say the play call, and you're going to visualize it and mm -hmm. run it. And it was just very interesting to me because I don't know that I'd ever heard it first twice in one week hear that same discussion and hear two quarterbacks who like it opposite – I've heard about quarterbacks liking or disliking the wristband or whatever, right. but not because of... And that was a Russ thing, right? Yeah, right. Because of the visualization aspect of it. I just thought that was really interesting. So you have Bryce Young and Lamar Jackson being on opposite ends of the spectrum as far as how they like the plays to be called and run and, and wristband, no wristband. The other interesting thing about I mean, to me, would you not immediately default to whatever your quarterback wants in that situation? Yes. I mean, I saw that. Yeah, like I get you might want to do it a certain way and you might think that that's better. But ultimately, if the QB is like pretty adamant of I need it this way because I see it better or I feel like, OK, cool, we'll, we'll adjust. I like, don't. Why would you why would you make the guy's life more difficult by trying to do it in a different way? Maybe not immediately, because as a coach, as a coach, your job is to be like, I, I, right, have, like, I have the greater good in yeah. mind. Right. You're going to be better in the long term if you do it this but way. But particularly a guy like Lamar, you'd be like, OK, cool, we'll try it try it my way right and if it yeah. if I'm, if you know the end of training camp or whatever you still think your way's better we'll go back but like let's see if it's better this way because i think it might be but the second he's still like no dude i need it i need it the other way you're like cool we're gone we're done yeah those things are interesting um we should wrap it up but as a pitcher <laughs> sam oh i had a pitching coach one time who wanted to call my pitches yeah and i hated it absolutely hated it like i'm out there man i know what i'm feeling i know what i want i want to trust my catcher to call the pitches 
And if I don't like it, I'll shake them off and call and throw what I want, right? That's how I operated. I had this pitching coach who was adamant that he was going to call pitches. And at first I didn't like it, but at some point it helped me creatively. Like, oh, I wouldn't call that at that point. Or you'd say, or it'd be like, oh, I can't believe you're calling this slider. My slider's terrible. Why would you call that? But I love that you have confidence in it. Okay, now I have confidence in it. So it kind of like changes your mentality, might help you grow as a player doing something you're uncomfortable with. Now, at the end of the day, I still wanted to throw what I wanted to throw, but it kind of like opens up your mind a little bit as a professional athlete. Mm. You know, I was just a collegiate athlete at the time. But that's my uh, baseball comp there, is having your pitching coach call plays for you, something you didn't want to do. Yeah. And it, uh, overall, it was fine, you know? And that's how you know the show's over. That's it. Oh, this is a good show. That's it. I got extra energy yeah. today. I do. You want to dedicate it to wrapping the show up, or are you just going to keep talking to yourself for the next Let's hour? just go right into the week 13 preview. Because some of us have things to do. Oh, you got to go? I mean, at some point. All right, it's a great podcast. I'm excited. Sorry I talked so much, everybody. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we'll be back again tomorrow previewing all the Week 13 action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye, Sam. See mm -hmm. you. You can leave now. <laughs>